You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. On today's show, we have the legendary Lynn Dunn joining us. We are very excited. Currently, she works for the University of Kentucky. Um, so, Coach, how you doing? Thanks for joining us this morning. Great. I'm in sunny Florida, so I'm thrilled to be joining you guys. If y'all are in Chicago, I hope the weather's good there. The weather actually is good here today. It's uh, supposed to be in the 80s, so we're excited about that. So, Coach, let's get right into it. So, we... Todd and I, uh, as we kind of talk about off air, are big um, advocates of the women's side of the game. And we wanted to start off with more of a global view. So you've obviously coached both in the U.S. and overseas. We were curious, what are some similarities of, of the two? Uh, and what are some differences between U.S. players and overseas players? Well, uh John, that's an interesting question. You know, I had the opportunity to coach in USA basketball, be a part of our Olympic teams, world championship teams, Jones Cup teams. And then, of course, I've coached uh, in the WNBA uh, international players. Um, I'm not sure how it happens, uh, but our international players, uh, the foreign teams, uh, have a significantly high basketball IQ. I've noticed that on the men's side and on the women's side. Uh, They really know the game. They really study the game. Um, And so I see that as a real strength uh, of the foreign players and the foreign teams. They're highly skilled. Um, uh, I don't know if they've been working since they were three, two, three, four years old, uh, both men and women, their, their ball handling skills, their, their passing skills, uh, their shooting range. Um, one of the things I think the foreign teams do uh, that maybe we don't do a good job of in America is they develop their tall players um, inside and outside. And, and we have a tendency in America, traditionally, if you were tall or big, you were going down to the low block with your back to the basket and, and, and you know, that was it. And I think internationally, when you look at, I think about Sabonis that plays for, um, for the Pacers, uh, you know, he, he's a giant with guard skills, um, you, you know, um, so that, that's a big difference. Now, I think we're, we're starting to see American teams, both college and pro, kind of copy uh, the foreign strategies and say, hey, let's develop these big players. Let's, let's, when we do the ball handling drills, let's put them in it. When we do the passing drills, let's put them in it. Let's, they're in the three-point shooting. You know? so, so these players are so multidimensional. And so I'm, I'm just really impressed. You know, I had the opportunity to coach Lauren Jackson one of the greatest uh, women players to play the game and uh, six, five uh, with guard skills and post-up skills uh, when she came to America from Australia. So I think it's great that we're starting to copy them. I know forever the foreign teams have copied American uh, schemes and, and, and ideas, but 
that, that, that's the, 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 the skills, developing the, the, the bigs inside and outside, uh, and that high basketball IQ. I mean, they know the game. Do you think that in, in the American game, this is something I've gotten away from, and I know some people have also gotten away from it. Do you think we're too stuck on center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, point guard? Do you think we're too position stuck? I think for a long time we have been because, you know, we tend to, tend to stick with tradition. Uh, you know, if we, if we play our game with two halves, we can't change. Well, fortunately, the women were, were uh, progressive enough to say, hey, wait a minute, we like the four-quarter game. We're going to make mm -hmm. a change. We like the shot clock. You know, I thought it was real funny when the women went to the 30-second shot clock. The guys go to the 35. You know, they yep. just don't want to copy the women's game. Um, so I do think we get too stuck, and this is the way we've always done it, in particular with the bigs, with the post players. Um, and so I think it's hard to change. Change is hard in anything. Um, okay, so I guess we talk, you talked about shot clock and those changes. This is always a big topic, too. Kind of flows right in, but filtering it down to the high school level. Um, how do you think that would uh, affect the high school game? Would it make it better? Would it, you know, because that's a lot of debate. And some states have it here in Illinois. It's a huge debate. Some of the coaches, you know, it seems to be up north. The Chicago area want it. And then some of the coaches down south don't want it. How do you, how do you think that would affect the game? Well, I'm a tremendous proponent of the shot clock. I think it enhances the game. I think it makes it a much better game. You know, there's, there's just no comparison. Who wants to sit and watch a team hold the ball for a whole game or even a quarter or even for, for five minutes? Uh, that's not basketball. That's not how it was meant to play. And so uh, the shot clock just really makes it – I just don't see any negatives. I, I, I'm – of course, I'm uh, separated from the high school game, but but I would think, uh, of course, now the coaches that don't want it, they, they're going to have to change. They're going to have to adjust. There's not going to be any more four quarters where I win ball games by getting ahead two points and now holding the ball for, for a whole game. So um, much better game, much better prepares boys and girls for the next level. If they have any interest in playing in college at any level, you say, oh, well, they're not going to play at D1. Yeah, but they might play at D3. They might play at a JUCO. Uh, you know, they might have some other opportunities um, at the next level. But if they haven't played with the shot clock, that's a huge adjustment. So get the shot clock in. Get it in now. I like it. I like it, Coach. I agree. Um, pretty adamant about it. You can tell that. Yeah. yeah no doubt. Okay, so I want to go kind of to the, transfer over to the WNBA here. Um, and obviously, it's been it's been growing so much. The WNBA draft was just recently. Um, it's kind of a multi-part question, but you know, your thoughts on on how the WNBA is is progressing, and then some things you need to you you think it needs to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a difficult time right now coming out of the COVID lockdown. You know, we're, we're all dealing with, with a tremendous adversity over the whole year. I just, I thought the WNBA and the NBA really handled it uh, well. They both went into bubbles. They both decided, hey, there's, we're going to have a season. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to keep our players safe. And so I was really impressed with, with and I think a lot of, a lot of people, college, high school, everybody copied what the WNBA and the NBA did with their bubbles and with their protocols. You know, we are celebrating this year the 25th anniversary um, of the birth. I like to use the birth of the, of the WNBA. And so I'm excited about where they are. I'm excited about Kathy Engelbert's leadership. Um, she, she's already shown that she's going to make some changes. The salaries are up. Uh, the collective bargain agreement is that has improved. Um, we're even talking about in the future expansion. Uh, we just have to continue to, to, to create opportunities for visibility, visibility. We've got to be on TV. We've got to have a TV package that showcases these teams. They're, they're phenomenally talented. They are, they're just so good. They're the best of the best, the best women players in the world. Um, and they're worth uh, televising. And so whether it's CBS, ABC, ESPN, every game needs to be televised. Uh, just like we did the NCAA tournament this year for the first time, all 64 games were televised 
And it's amazing the visibility and the feedback that we got. Some people are like, wow, I've, I've never seen, you know, the, some of those women's games. And I'm saying, hey, if you see it and you, you then you respect um, how skilled they are. So I'm, 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 I think the WNBA is in a good place. I think we were fortunate that Big Brother, the NBA, uh, was right beside us in the beginning. And, you know, when you, you, you crawl, you walk, you run, and we're still crawling and walking and we're still growing. We're only in our 25th year. And I think what they're in their 75th. Um, so we need, we continue to uh, get sponsors that just want to support uh, women's sports. So I, I feel good about where we are. You mentioned expansion. And I, I, I noticed this year, you know, the Chicago sky around here and you're looking at rosters and there's, so many good players on on rosters it, it almost seems like it's not you can't keep all of them on the roster um so whether they you know they head overseas or or you know they got to kind of bounce around um I, I guess you know would is that something how quickly can the WNBA do that and you know how how much is too far and how much is not enough with mm -hmm. with expansion well, you, you know, you made a great point that what was it, a three round draft? And, and I looked at that draft and I, if 10 people out of that draft make a team, I'll be stunned. I'll be stunned. You know, our great players, our veteran players, they're going to play as long as they can. They don't have to, you know, you know, they don't have to quit after four years. There's no <laughs> eligibility requirements. And so it is so, so difficult uh, to make a team. I think there'll be first round draftees that don't make a team. Um, so the, 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 the talent is, is elite. You know, the teams are all exceptional from top to bottom. The bottom team can beat the top team. So that's great. Parity's there. Um, we, we will expand when we have owners that are willing to invest, significantly invest their resources into a women's team. And I, I, think, of a, I think of the Golden State Warriors who have been so successful, that Bay Area would be absolutely a fantastic uh, place, I think, for an expansion team. I think about um, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Nashville, Tennessee, and how fanatical those people are about their lady volunteers. And, and I don't know if it's Knoxville, I don't know if it's Nashville. Personally, I would prefer Nashville because I'm only two hours from Nashville. But, and they have a gorgeous arena. So I think that that area has, has some potential. Um, so, uh, but it, it will, it will be done when we have people step up, you know, it'd be nice if Billie Jean King and Oprah Winfrey bought a team and create, you know, and put it in, uh, uh, in the San Jose, San Francisco area. Um, but let's, whatever we do, let's make sure it lives, it thrives. You know, we've had, uh, expansion teams that didn't make it and move and that and this and that and, uh, but that's part of growth. That's what happened with the NBA. Everybody gets all wigged out because a, a WNBA team moves or gets sold. Well, that look at the history of the NBA. Oh my goodness gracious. I can't even keep up with who that team used to be before they moved and after that. And so that's just part of the growth of it. What do they say? Location, location, location? Location, location. You better be where those fanatical fans are. You know, and you guys are really lucky. I mean, Candace Parker has come to Chicago. Are you kidding me? I, yeah. I, I still don't understand how L.A. let her get away. I, now, I do understand that she's from that area. She's originally from the Chicago area. But yep. I, I just thought she was a lifer. I, I thought she was going to be like Lisa Leslie, you know, spend her entire career in, in L.A. But I'm thrilled that Chicago's got her. So now that makes you my pick to win the, turn, the whole shebang. I'm picking you. We'll, we'll take it. We, we had a, a lot of quality players before her. So it's interesting. You're talking about the WNBA and players. And so kind of take, kind of take our listeners through what are some things that WNBA players and coaches kind of deal with during that grind of a season that some fans or, or listeners may not know about? Well, um, you know, one of the best experiences of my life was coaching in the pros. I coached for 26 years in college, loved it. Um, it was just a different dynamic. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're the mother and they're the daughter. Uh, whereas in the pros, it's more side by side. You know, your colleagues, you're working together. You're working with experienced, highly skilled, knowledgeable players. And so I loved that dynamic. Um, 
so so that was that that was a great uh, experience for me. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm trying to think how to answer that question. Repeat it again. I, I want to make sure I hit it on exactly right. Absolutely. So, you know, just kind of take us through, you know, for, for our the listeners grind. or, yeah, the or, grind. or yeah. fans, the grind of the game yeah, that they may not know. I'm trying to think how it's different. Um, well, first of all, um, you, you play so many more games, you know, it's, it's, if you're watching the NBA plays even more than the WNBA, but, but it's once training camps over, then it's, it's time to play. It's time to play. So you better get your system in, in the training camp. It's not like uh, college where you've got three months in the fall to get it all in and you've got the whole summer and you have a short period of time to get it in. So that's why they better be smart. And then once you get started, you have to understand the stresses on the body of the pro player. You know what I'm saying? You, rest is, is is paramount. You know, you have to figure out how to do, play, travel, um, and, and keep fresh legs. And so that was a big lesson for me. I, you know, in college, we used to practice two and a half, three hours. No, you can't do that in the pros. It just can't happen. So I've got to figure out how to get out of 45 minutes what I might have gotten out of two hours. So I really grew as a coach uh, with my time management, with my multiple drills, uh, and how to keep these players fresh, legs fresh. Don't wait. We're not going to run a wind sprint because they're win a wasted, what, uh, five minutes of, of, of legs. Um, so it's just adapting to older players, um, adjusting to the fact that you need to listen very carefully to their ideas and their suggestions. And that's really different. Um, you, you might not call a timeout and ask a college player, look, our, our two-man defense is really struggling. What do y'all want to go to? They might look at you like you've lost your mind, whereas um, the pro players are going to say, hey, coach, we need to switch. That If we switch, we'll be fine. We'll disrupt them. You know, let's quit hard hedging. Uh, so I loved all of that. But it is a grind, and in particular in the WNBA because we, we fly commercial. We're still flying commercial because we haven't afforded yet the, the, the charter flights. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why I got out of the pros. I finally decided to retire. I loved it, but I got tired of getting up at 4 a.m. to get through security at 6 a.m., you know, to get home. And then that night we had a back-to-back. -back. Uh, so it, it, the, the, the travel is extremely difficult. And that's why these players have, they have to sleep standing up just about. They have to sleep in the airport. They have to sleep on the plane. So rest, nutrition, fresh legs, smart um, you're not going to put in a new scheme uh, during the pro season, but you're going to put in counters and you're going to tweak the system that you put in offensively or defensively. You may have three ways to uh, defend the two-man game and you can vary them based on who you play because you play each other four or five times. Uh, so uh, it is a grind. It, it is tough. And, and some people can survive and some people can't. But I, I loved it. I loved working with, of course, Tamika Catchings, I mean, one of the greatest players that ever played, of course, from the Chicago, you know, area. Here we go again with Chicago. <laughs> um, but I, I loved working with the best of the best. Well, it, you kind of led us into it, but let, let's kind of get into, you kind of talked about your system and, and deciding on those concepts. So obviously, you know, every season, it's going to be a little bit different, um, but kind of take us through, you know, what is the process for you to kind of build that system and decide on those concepts and then those drills that lead into those concepts? Wow, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, you, you know, John, I think one of the, 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 the key things for any coach, uh, any head coach is determining their philosophy and how they want to play. Now, sometimes in high school, you don't have a choice. You have to look at the talent that you have because you can't recruit, you can't trade, you can't draft like, like you can in the pros. Even in, in, in major division one, you have some options about who you will recruit. But in high school, you may have to look at that talent and say, okay, this is what we can do. But ideally, you would like to decide, okay, how do I want to play? How do I want to play offensively? How do I want to play defensively? And what is my culture going to be? Those are the three things that a head coach is constantly thinking about and, and growing. And, and so where I am today, 50 years ago, 
when I started in 1970 at Austin P, my offensive philosophy's grown, my defensive philosophy's grown, my thoughts and, and, and concepts about culture have grown. So it's a, it's a process and it's a learning situation, but you have to know how you want to play. Defensively, um, I, I'm a defensive coach. I always was, and, and I think that's because I didn't have a lot of talent. You know, so if you're not very talented, then you know defense is really predicated on knowing the details, the fundamentals, and effort. You know, so coach up that, you know, that be tough. You, we may not can score on you, but we can trap you, steal the ball, and go get a layup. So I, I knew early on how I wanted to play defensively, and, and I wanted to be disruptive. That, that's who I am. Some, some defensive coaches are passive. You know, they're just going to sit back and make, hope you'll make four, five, six, seven, you know, and jack up a shot. But that's not, that's not my style. Um, defensively, I like to be – I like combination. You know, I like to mix man, zone, um, man press, zone press. I, 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 I guess you would call me a combination coach. Um, I, I want you to spend time during that week preparing for me. You know, if I only do one thing and that's all I do all the time, like Bobby Knight did forever. I mean, he thought the 2-3 the zone, uh, zone defense was a disease. You know, he wouldn't even consider it. Uh, but we all know that everybody's evolved and decided, hey, wait a minute. I may come out of a timeout and now I've gone into a one-three one-half court trap or I've gone into a, a – for two possessions, a zone defense. So I've disrupted you. I've made you think. I've made you use time on other things. So I'm, I'm real into that. Uh, and offensively, do you want to play fast? Do you want to play slow? Do you want to play inside out? Or you want to play outside in or just outside? Uh, there's so many ways to play now. And there's so many systems. You know, you've got the triangle. You've got the, the, the Princeton. And you've got the dribble drive and the read and react. And, you know, you, you've got different offensive uh, systems to choose from. Um, and so I watch sometimes and I see coaches, they're just searching, you know, they're searching, you know, they see that, oh, oh look, they're using the, that, let's try that. Oh, well, wait a minute, they're over here and then they're all over and they, they haven't been able to figure out how do I want to play. And it's okay to copy. You know, I, I, I watched um, uh, how, um, I watched the Golden State Warriors, I watched uh, how Tara Vanderveer used uh, the triangle. I watched how Muffet McGraw and Gino used uh, the Princeton actions. And, and I created a, a hybrid blend of what I, I took pieces from all that and I thought this is really going to be good for our team. And so I got creative with that because I like pieces of all of it. Um, and then once you decide, you made a great point, once you decide how you're going to play, then you have to figure out, okay, how am I going to teach it? You know, what are my drills when am I going to teach you? It's like a, a, a progression, teaching progression. And, and that's one reason why I love the book, uh, Perfect Practice by Doug Limov. Uh, you know, it really is a great book for teachers and for coaches about the value of your teaching methods, your teaching progressions. And, and, and sometimes, I don't know if y'all noticed this, or not, there are a lot of coaches that they're, they don't have an education background. They didn't take education courses. Nobody, nobody taught them how to make a, le a six week lesson plan or how to start with beginning, intermediate, advanced skills, how to go back and do repetition, uh, just how to teach. Um, and so once I've decided how I wanna play, then I've gotta decide uh, how I'm going to teach it. So you kind of, you, you hit on the, the defensive um, disrupting of the rhythm and, and I'm a, a big believer of that. And you kind of talked about different things you mix offensively. So for myself personally, I kind of started with Peretta's women's uh, offense and kind of added some read and react and some dribble drive and some pace and space concepts together to kind of create, you know, my base concepts. I'm just curious from you, what, what are the base concepts that you really liked that you combined into your offense? Well, first of all, I want to be up tempo. I want to push the ball. I want to get down the floor and score if I can before you get your defense set. You know, I learned that from being, like I said, the defensive coach. I've gotten a steal now or I've gotten a long rebound. You put up a bad shot and here I'm off to the races. I'm not going to wait for you to set up. Because if you if I do, I'm, I'm in big trouble. So I'm thinking, how can I score early in transition? How can I take advantage of 
of attack, attacking. I call it a, a offensive attacking. And so I'm looking for a rim runner. You know, I'm looking to pass it ahead uh, for a three or a drive and kick or pass it ahead for a quick on ball. Uh, I'm looking for uh, a first wave and then I'm looking for some early quick actions before you can get set. That's, that's definitely part of my system. And I'm always watching NBA, WNBA, high school, anybody for early quick actions that I like. I like early on balls. I like early off balls. I like early passes inside to a, to a low post. If I have a low post that's not a very good uh, back-to-the-basket player, then I may not send her to the block. I may stop her in that high-post Princeton area and use her as a screener and play off of her. And now I've got technically a kind of a five-out situation. I also offensively want to be able to flow. If I don't get my early actions that I want, then I, I, I want to flow into whatever other actions that I love. Uh, now, I don't mind setting up. Like, you know, we're going to slow it down sometimes and set up in the quarter court. But I want all of these things to come together, to blend, to, you know, they all make sense about what I'm doing. I'm not going to stop and set up in a box and stack and pop out if I can help it. Because that, again, gives the defense time to stop and set and get. So if I were going to pop out, I would probably run some type of a floppy action where we crossed in the back and my two posts pinned down and we never stopped. Um, the, the, the only action that I really uh, like um, that, that is stop set up are some of the horns actions. I, I'm a, I'll, I think that's a great uh, package uh, because again, the paint is open. I like anything where the paint is open for drives, for back doors, um, and of course, you know, Princeton's predicated on that. And, and uh, so th those are things that I really like. Um, and, and I used a lot of those things with my fever team and we won a championship. So I knew I was on the right track because we were hard to guard. And so remember that as an offensive coach, are you hard to guard? And, and the other thing is, do you have plenty of entries? Can you enter over here? Can you enter over here? Do you have a passing enter, a, a, an on-ball entry, a dribble clear entry, a backdoor entry? You know, how can you get started so you can't be scouted easily? And do you have counters? Uh, I watch teams sometimes and I watch their favorite action. And then when that action is disrupted, I don't see a counter. They just run a different action. So it's really important that you you don't need you don't need a boatload of plays. You need your key plays that work for your talent with counters and with entries that that, that create a situation where you're hard to guard. I do believe in balance. I don't think everything needs to be on the perimeter. I'm not going to live and die with the three. I'm not going to live and die with the back to the basket post up. Not not going to do it. But I believe inside out. Uh, has tremendous value. If you've got three-point shooters and you can't go in and come back out, those three-point shooters are not going to get threes. They may get drives, but that's not what they want to do. They want threes. And so you have to have that balance of inside, outside. I love the two-man game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have lots of actions in everything I do with early on balls, with step-up screens. Um, I, I think they're hard to guard. Uh, whatever scheme you're going to show me defensively with the two-man game, I've got a counter for it. I know, oh, well, guess what? They're going to trap us tonight. Well, then we're going to pick and pop, and we're going to get a three. But i got to make sure the person that's setting that screen can pick and pop and can hit that three because I've left, they've left her wide open. Um, so th those are the things that I'm thinking about. I, I want to say one thing about back to philosophy. I think once you decide how you want to play, you have to decide what's important to you. You can't be good at everything. And this is something I learned a long time ago that has really helped me in my career is determining my three, three, three. And I don't know if you've heard that, that uh, formula or not, but it's really important because it affects how you develop your practices. Okay, what do I really want to be excellent at? I've got to decide those three things. And that's where I'm going to spend the most of my time. And then the next three is what do I want to be good at. 
And that's where I'm going to spend the next of my time. And then the other three is what will I be average at? Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to spend time on some other things. But if you tell me you're going to be good at a two, three zone, that's in your excellent. That's in your excellent. But only one week, one day a week, you work on it. Well, then you're, you're out, out of whack. So, so once you decide what you're going to be excellent at, then there is a huge investment in, the, in that area, in practice. And that's who you are. This is who we are. We're working on it. This is our identity. And so I think that helps coaches. When I do some consulting sometimes with young coaches, I'm like, oh, tell me, tell me what your 333 are. And they're like, well, what is 333? Is that nine? I'm like, no, let's talk about the three things you want to be excellent at. And then sometimes they'll tell me what it is. And I'll say, okay, how much time are you spending on that? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's really important once you decide how you want to play. Um, if, you, if excellent is I'm going to be a great disruptive defensive team, then you are spending time on that every day, not once a week. Every day, and you've got the you got the individual fundamentals, the details, the you build it, you 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 teach it, you, you practice it, you drill it. I mean, it's who you are, and so I think that that really helps to implement implementing. How do you implement your system once you decide it? You implement it in practice. So I want to dive into you talked about counters. Um, and I was kind of going back through my notes and you talked about, you know, how, how you're starting the game. So um, I, I think especially at the higher levels, you probably got more into this, but uh, you know, you talked about your ball screens. So would you go into games thinking, okay, we're going to start at with this kind of ball screen or this setup to see what the other team does almost, almost maybe scripting your plays, I guess to use a football term to kind of see what they're doing that day. And then, okay, maybe we can get this now. Um, you know, how did you go about figuring out, okay, this is what the other team's doing, how they're going to defend it, or, or how they're going to play offensively during, you know, when you were setting up for games? That's a great question. And, and, and scripted is a great word. I would never start a game without a script. I can't even imagine starting a game without knowing, you know, exactly specifically what we're going to do the first quarter. This is how we're going to play the first quarter. This is the sets we're going to run. These are the defensive uh, schemes we're going to run. Uh, you're right on target with me. The first thing that I'm going to do is run a middle screen and roll and find out. I want to know. I want to know two things when the game starts. I want to know how you're defending the two-man game, and I want to know how you're defending the post. Because how you're defending the post determines how I'm going to enter the ball, where I'm going to get, how I'm going to get the ball to my post. If you're fronting me, then I know the action I'm going to run because I'm going to vacate the backside and I'm going to get a layup. But I've got to find out early on. I don't want to find out at second half. How, I want to know. And so I'm running that middle screen and rolling. Are you hedging? Are you sliding through? Are you going behind? Are you trapping? Are you swift? What are you doing? I want to know right off the bat how you're running, how you're, and some teams, it, now not in high school, a little bit in college, some teams will be running two schemes. There's a two-man scheme in the middle uh, that's different from the two-man scheme. They might be icing the side and, and hard hatching the top, but I want to know, and then now from an offensive perspective, I know how to attack you better. Um, so, yes, I, I always started every pro game I coached with a middle. That's just who, that's who I am. And then I'm going to uh, immediately take a look coming out of that middle of roll and replace or kicking to the side. And now I've got a post up. Now I know how you're, how you're guarding the post. What about the uh, same thing on the defensive end? Did you, when you were scouting teams and looking, were you looking to say, hey, we can get this. Uh, we can force them into doing this. And then I guess, how did you use your assistance to kind of help you see those things right because you're you're coaching you're looking at this you're looking at that so how did how did you help use your assistants to help you with that script and see okay we can get this mm -hmm. well i think you have to take advantage of your assistants and, and the, you you bring up a great point nothing is if you have the opportunity to have assistance and i know at the high school level you know college now, now i look at some of these d1 programs there are more people over there than there are players i can't figure out what everybody does 
but if you have the opportunity to have three or four quality assistants, uh, that, that's crucial to your success. Nothing is more important than who you allow into your program. Who do you allow uh, into your program? Your, your, your assistant coaches and your players. You know, it, it matters who they are and what they bring to the table. And so be very careful who you let in because once you let them in, it's hard to get them out. Uh, so, so make sure uh, it's much easier to be more careful uh, than get in a situation where you have to weed the garden and you have to pull some, some bad apples and kick them out. So be very careful. Delegate responsibilities to your assistants. I think one of your assistants needs to be an offensive coordinator. One of your assistants needs to be a defensive coordinator. And they are focused 24-7 on those areas. I think it's always great if you have an assistant that's a, a, an expert in special situations. I, I, I think they really bring a lot to the table to help you with that area. Uh, you know, uh, I always tell assistants, hey, when you, when you get interviewed, Bring some, make, make them think you're an expert in some area. Be an expert in some area. Pick, maybe it's the two-man game. You know, maybe it's the two-three zone. But, but I, I want to hire somebody that really is good at something. Um, I don't mind training you and teaching you and growing you, but you, you better bring something to the table. And so my assistants are uh, really zeroed in on their areas, and they're making suggestions, not only in timeouts, but during the game. You know, I know immediately at a timeout, my, uh, I'm going to turn my offensive coach is going to say, Coach, we've been running so and so. We got to keep running it. We got to keep running it. We're milking it. Keep running it. My defensive coach is saying, Well, we got to get out of that block. That block. Our, our, our doubling the post is not a good idea. You know, we're getting killed. Well, okay, what do you want to do? Well, all right, all right, then let's make this change. And depending on uh, the level of my assistance, I may let them say what we're change in the huddle. It just depends on, on the level. But um, I'm not, I don't want to do it all by myself. I can't do it all by myself. I'm, I'm thinking both ends, blah, 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 you know, but I want uh, qualified, uh, really, really good um, uh, assistant coaches. And whatever, whichever assistant was responsible for, for scouting that team, they better know their stuff. They better know their plays better than they know them. I mean, I scouted Cheryl Reeve at Minnesota and Mike Tebow at Washington. So my, I know I know their plays inside and out. If we ever got in a close game at the end, I knew what Cheryl was going to run. I knew what Mike was going to run because I had watched that film over and over. I, I, they're over there diagramming their play, and I know what play Cheryl loves. And I'm over here in the defense thinking, okay, how are we? We know how to disrupt this play. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, so you have to be preparation is key in the pros. Now, maybe in college, you don't spend as much time on your opponent. You spend more time on yourself. But, but boy, be prepared. Preparation is what creates confidence. Everybody said, well, they're not very confident. Well, you're not prepared. You haven't invested enough in your shot. Well, you're not confident. I'm not, coach, I'm not confident in my shot. Well, get in the gym and give me another uh, 500 shots. And, and I'm, I'm going to touch on this because I love this. Um, everybody doesn't have the green light to shoot. Good gracious. I think players take a shot and I'm like, holy crap. I can't believe they let her take that shot. You don't have the green light to take every shot. There's a reason why you're open. They want you to take that shot. You know, you've got to know what your shot is. And some people, I had one player and I gave her the green light to take any shot she wanted as long as she could touch the net. I said, if you can touch the net, that's how close you are to the basket, then that's your shot. But if you can't touch the net, you're out of your range. And she looked at me like, well, that's not very much range. I said, well, you don't have very much range. So, you know, be honest with it. If you want more range, get in the gym. And if you can hit seven out of 10 unguarded, then I'll, I'll rethink that. I'll rethink that. But, you know, that's shot selection gets you beat quicker than anything. Poor shot selection. And, and coaches say, oh, I'll give them the green light to take whatever. I'm like, you're not going to be around long. Coach, I think uh, all the coaches that are going to listen to this episode are going to clip that last segment and, and, send, it to their, and send it to their players because I, I know everybody, every coach is thinking it. And uh, uh, you just kind of – you said it in a perfect way. Um, 
But tell them, you know, be honest with them. Don't get frustrated when Nancy took a 15 footer and she hadn't hit three 15 footers in practice. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that to her. That's not your shot, Nancy. This is your time to do a dribble handoff or pass it and go set an on ball screen and now roll to the rim. And guess what? You're close enough to, yeah, this is your shot. Here's your shot. So you talked about preparation and I know, uh, I, I've, I always go back and look at your notes on special situations. Cause I think a lot of times you, you kind of forget, you know, you try to list it off and you forget that there's so many, you know, jump balls and, you know, everybody thinks the sideline out of bounds and end the game, right. A lot. But, um, so you're putting in your special situations, you're working on them, you know, uh, first day of practice, you know, what do you start with? Which one do you start with? Which one, you know, how is the, I guess the hierarchy of, of working on, working on those, um, you know, and then some, do you wait till a little bit later, you know, as you're getting in your preseason or do you try to get them all in as early as you can? Well, I, I get in the, uh, the special situations that happen the most. That's right. your priority. Prioritize the special situations that happen the most. I, I did a clinic for somebody and, they were wanted to talk about two for one. I said, how often does that happen? How often does that happen in your game? Well, not very often. I said, well, then, then, then be careful about spending a lot of time on something that doesn't happen. And so well, here's what we know happens a lot. Inline and sideline out of bounds plays. It's a dead ball situation and it's structured plays offensively and defensively. And that's, this is a really good point. People spend a lot of time on end and side offensive plays where's your end and side defensive strategies you know you've got to spend time on both of those so I think those things happen the most so this is back into my three 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 I'm gonna to have to spend more time on those two areas because they will happen the most and so I'm gonna get them in early real early here's how we're gonna here's our here's our basic plot we've got one a set with the basic play, now I'm gonna have five counters to that play. And get threes and get post ups, whatever. But it's the same set. I'm not switching sets because every time I switch sets, that sends you a message what I'm running. So I'm, I like to pick my set, get my counters, and get my plays. Um, so that's where I'm gonna spend my special situation. And then what's what's the, after time after after free throws? Probably after free throws. Um, is the next special situations. Again, a dead ball situation and either offensively or defensively, you have time to say, okay, this is what we're running after a free throw, AFT, after a free throw. This is the defense we're setting. This is when a lot of teams run their press. They like to press after a free throw, they're gonna get set. So then that's the next, so I'm ranking my special situations in order of, of what happens the most, because that's where I need to spend my most time. Um, if that's what you're talking about. And I get them in early. I mean, I, I just, personally, I think especially you should work on special situations every day in some form or fashion. And, and I'm a, a, a great believer uh, in, in blending them throughout the practice. This whole idea of the last session at the bottom of the, your practice is special situations and what gets cut, that that gets cut. No, blend them all through, blend them all through. It, you know, you just finished the shell drill, okay? Uh, blue team, white team, 14 seconds left, we're tied. Both teams have one timeout, one foul to give. Blue, you're shooting a free throw, let's play. And so we, and then we go, it doesn't take a couple of minutes and now then we go on to the next session. So I'm blending them through you know, once I've, once we've talked, you know, I'm just, but I'm blending them through practice so that they get addressed. And then, you know, once a week, uh, especially in college, I'm going to have special situations day. You know, we're really, we're working on inline, sideline, uh, after timeouts, after free throws, we're working on um, how to start the game, how to end the quarter, how to end the half. Um, how to take a foul, you know, all of our special, special situation day. And it's competitive uh, and the players love it. My, my, my pro players, I don't can't think of anything they love more than when we said, okay, it's time for a mini game. Three minutes on the clock, we're tied, here we go. Two timeouts, two fouls to give. And I let my assistants coach and it's live and it's fun and it's competitive. Um, 
And if we get to the end and it's not close, I make it close. I stop the clock and say, oh, there's been a, a, a scorebook area here. It looks like to me, God, well, what are we going to do? Here we go. Can't have, oh, don't get it technical. And then we, I, it's about using your time wisely. As a coach, there is nothing more valuable than your time. Time is a non-renewable resource. So what are you milking out of every second of the time that you have in practice? Do not waste a second. And that's how you get better. It's a multiple drill. It's a, you're getting three things out of one drill. If I see a coach running a drill and is only getting one thing, I'm like, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. And I learned that in the pros. I've only got 45 minutes. But why waste time in, in, any, in any level? High school, college, why waste time? Milk it. Get as much out of that five minutes as you can. I wanted to, to hit on something interesting that you talked about with your assistant coaches. And, and I've heard you speak before on the coaches clinics and, and you, you've always talked about, you know, bringing in good people, bringing in, in, in talent, developing the talent. And you kind of hit on culture, you know, so when you took over a new college program or you took over a professional organization, you know, what were your keys in building the solid culture with your assistant coaches, with recruiting? You know, what were your keys to that culture? You know, and that's such an interesting word. It's thrown around, it's bannered around, it's, you know, and everybody has a kind of a different idea of what you're talking about. Um, core values, culture, uh, whatever, however mm -hmm. you want to frame it. But I do feel strongly that the culture is the foundation of your program. You know, like if you think about building a house, um, this is your foundation. And if you don't build your house with a strong foundation, then you're, you're going to have issues later on. And so as, as a coach, it's so important that I determine um, how I feel about culture and how my players, getting my players and everybody to, to buy it. We're all, it's not just my culture, it's our culture. And so culture is really, what do we, what do we believe in? What, what do we value? Uh, and different coaches have different value systems. And so we have to determine what do, what do we value? And then once we determine that, then we'll see that in our behavior. So culture is really how we behave, you know, how, how, we, how we put into action the core values that we have. Um, and, and I think, I think that's, that's really important to understand that, you know, what is it? and be clear about it. You know, it doesn't have to be some gigantic long mission statement. You, you know, it has to be, okay, we, we, we believe 110% effort. Um, that, that may be a belief that we have, uh, we value that. Say, hey, some coaches do, some coaches don't. You've seen teams where they play hard and they don't play hard. So, I mean, that it's, everybody's culture is not the same. Uh, but I also believe that once we decide what we believe in, and, and then, we, then we want that culture to, to, to show in our behavior. And so our behavior then is going to emulate, okay, uh, we're, we're in a safe environment. Everybody belongs. Everybody has value. You know, we're vulnerable to each other. We, we, we take care of each other. Um, and so it's more than just discipline and it's more than just effort. Um, it, it's the things that we value and how we treat each other. And, and so we care about each other. We trust each other. We feel safe in this environment. Nobody's going to make fun of me. Nobody's going to bully me. Nobody's going to, um, they've got my back. They care about me. There's a genuine careness there. And so I think that sometimes we forget that that's, that's part of your culture and you have to grow that and you have to encourage that and you have to, you have to see it in how we behave. You have to see that we see that culture. We see that when we run, pick up a teammate that fell on the ground, not because we were forced to, but because we wanted to. We care about her. She took a charge. We trust her. We re respect her. 
And so I think those things are really important. We, we, we see the culture, we feel the culture. We even hear it sometimes in, in little phrases, you know, we got you back, I got you, well, I, I'm here, you know, whatever it might be. So we see it, we feel it and we hear it. Um, and so I think it's so important. And so when teams say, well, we, our culture's out of whack, well, you know, something's happened. You know, we haven't maintained that safety, that belonging, that vulnerability. We're not sure about our purpose. Uh, we're not all on the same page, you know, so we're, we're, we've gotten out of whack with, with what we believe in. And so I, I do think it's really important and I think it needs to be talked about all the time. It's more than slogans up on the wall. You know, a lot of people make these banners and put these slogans up there. Let me tell you something, you be careful because if you say this is who we are and we don't do it, then you've lost their trust. The quickest way to lose trust is talk the talk, but not walk the walk. Coaches say, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure, our trust is not good. And okay, well, I can probably tell you why. You've promised them something or you've told them something. You've said, hey, we're going to be a great defensive team. We're going to be the best defensive team in this conference. And then you don't work on defense or you don't fix your defense. Well, why, why would they believe you? Why would they trust you? You didn't follow through. You didn't hold yourself accountable. Don't hold me accountable if you're not holding yourself accountable. So all of this stuff comes into having a great culture, great foundation. Um, I always thought that you, you really emphasized your culture too through your defense, you know, because def you take a lot of pride in your defense. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of respect. There's a lot of caring, a lot of, I got your back. Uh, so I always thought defense was a great way to show um, our behaviors. Um, but do not underestimate the value of a strong, clear, consistent culture. Players, staff, support staff, everybody's got to be all in with this is who we are. This is this is who we are. This is how we this is how we behave. So it's interesting. You're, you're, you you said this is who we are, and I was recently reading a book. Uh, it's called The Tough Stuff, and it talked about all the different struggles to be a head coach at any level, it's professional, uh, college. Um, and it talked about the imposter syndrome, you know, and something that sometimes head coaches can feel even after years of being a head coach, you know, did, and we kind of, Todd and I last week uh, talked to Mike Neighbors and Ryan McCarthy and asked them the same question. You know, did you ever feel that imposter syndrome maybe earlier in your career, maybe later in your career, maybe it, the, your entire career? Um, that, you know, do I really have the right ideas? Am I really doing the right way? Um, do, you ever, do you ever feel like that? Absolutely. I think, and I think, I don't think it's just in coaching. I think it's in everything where you're in the leadership role, where you're in the driver's seat, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're driving the bus. And so um, I think what you always have, you always question, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right direction? And then the other thing you're always doing is like, even though when you're down or upset or worried, you have to, you know, you have to put on a front, like everything's fine. Um, I wonder how many Academy Awards I've won just from the performance that I gave uh, after a devastating loss. And I was humiliated and devastated, and, but I put on my acting skills and, and um, said, hey, it's, everything's going to be fine. That's what we're going to do. experience the longer you coach successfully the more confidence you will get the more you invest in your craft the more confident you get the best the more prepared you are the more it's all about preparation and confidence and, you know and getting better and, and being open to learning and growing you know my confidence in the pros was much better than my confidence you know year 10 when I was at University of Miami you know, I'm still trying to learn the game. I'm still trying to figure out some of the terminology. You know, I'm trying to figure out, but I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm going to find out. If, if I feel inadequate in an area, then I'm going to go, I'm going to go research that area. You know, and I'm going to learn about that area. And I'm going to ask for help. Write that down. Tell all the coaches. Ask for help. 
If you're not sure, if you're not sure, get a mentor, get a guide, get a life coach, get a consulting coach, ask for help. Have a board of directors, have somebody that will help you, guide you. And I, I think everybody needs somebody that's a truth teller. You know, when you're off track, you, who's going to tell you to get back on track? You know, and your assistant coaches are a little wary of saying, hey, coach, that's not a good, that's, yeah. But but you need somebody above you, your your mentor group. I call them your board of directors that you can say, hey, let me tell you what I'm doing. And they say, no, that's not a good idea. No, mm -mm. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah. And so uh, a, a consultant tells you what to do. A guide supports you and helps you, and so does a mentor. But if you want to hear the truth, hire a consultant, and they'll tell you the bare bones truth because that's their job. Um, yeah. All right. So, Coach, we've we've added some new segments here in our second season. Uh, we like to mix it up, kind of end on a on a fun fun note with two segments here. Uh, we're calling this one the thirty second timeout. So it's your <laughs> your platform, right? Fits right in with the uh, with the theme. Your platform. Talk about anything you want. Um, it could be, you know, obviously you're passionate about a lot of things. You've given us so much great information, but maybe an outside organization, a charity, something you're involved with, a, a unique story, um, you know, so kind of your, your forum, and it's a very loose 30 seconds. Um, you know, uh, we, we said the other day that the ref's not coming in until yeah, you first no here. No refs in the huddle. There's no refs in the goodness. huddle. <laughs> and if you had on a striped shirt, I don't know if I'd have done this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're not my favorite people, but I have a great respect for them. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I have to like them. There's a difference in liking and respecting. Yep. Yep. So you know, your 30-second timeout, whatever, wherever you want to go with it. Well, I'm going to tell you what I've got on my mind. I've had it on my mind since the NCAA tournament, and that's the inequity between the men's tournament and the women's tournament. And to be really honest with you, it really pissed me off. I'm very disappointed in the NCAA. But then again, the more I think about it, I'm not surprised because we've been treating the women historically uh, in sports and women's sports as, as second class citizens forever. We always thought that when the NCAA took over, everything was going to be just like it's supposed to be. When Val Ackerman did the white paper and submitted it, I think in 2013 or 14, I'm not sure when, we thought everything was going to be fixed and it hasn't been. And it's absolutely ridiculous that in 2021, that you would put on a men's and women's tournament that are so visible and you would have the inequities in the weight room and in the meals that were so obvious and that you would allow that to happen and think that's okay. And so I'm all fired up about addressing these issues. I'm all fired up about this is an opportunity for us to get this fixed and let's get it right. And what's good for Johnny is good for Judy. And it's about damn time that we, the NCAA, made it a priority to make sure there is equity and equality in these two sports. Boom. Uh, amen. amen, Coach. Amen. Did I use 30 seconds? Oh, yeah, that was perfect. That was, that was amazing. All right, so our, our next one's just kind of a fun segment. We call it Quick Hitters. Uh, so John and I are just going to kind of fire some things at you, you give, give your thoughts on it. Uh, we kind of just – just go down the line here. So my first one for you is the, the one sp special situation where you can steal the most points. I, I think it's in line out of bounds plays. I, I, I think there's 16 a game. And so I expect to score a lot of points. I, when I talk about how I'm going to score, I'm kind of counting on those in line out of bounds plays because I don't think teams spend enough time, enough time on in line out of bounds defense. And so I'm going to steal, I'm going to try to steal 10 points a game um, from my inline out of bounds plays because I, be I believe they're there. All right. So our next one is right now, any favorite book you're reading, song you're listening to, or a movie you just saw? Well, I just watched Queen's Gambit on oh, Netflix. Really good. It is excellent. I loved it. I love the strategies. I love the whole thing. I love the fact that at the end of the day, that woman just kicked their ass. I loved it. Um, I just read, um, it's funny, we should talk about culture. I just read uh, Culture Code by Daniel Cole. I thought that was excellent. Um, song, now I'm going to tell you, I'm an Elvis fan. 
So uh, I'm not, li if I'm an Elvis fan, you know I'm not listening to whatever it is that's on the music today. I'm not real familiar with that. Uh, I do like uh, Brandy Carlisle. Uh, I've noticed it. Yeah, I like her. And now I'm gonna, you, you, this is going to blow your mind. I love Lady Gaga. Oh. And I got a chance to see her in concert. I didn't even know who she was. And so uh, I'm one of her little monsters. Uh, so I, I do like her music, but I, I tend to go, you know, to Patsy Cline and Tammy Wynette and George Jones uh, if I'm going to listen to music. So real quick then, because I grew up with my my grandpa and dad were big Elvis guys. So what is your favorite Elvis song? Good Luck Charm. Okay. Not any doubt about it. My mother and I and all of us, we we knew we sang it and I'm not singing today, but I, that's that was our favorite. Good Luck Charm. We love blue suede shoes. Don't be cruel. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got all of Elvis gospel music. Uh, I'm not real religious, but I love gospel music. I know that doesn't make sense, but yeah, I'm an Elvis fan all the way. Awesome. That's so awesome. Uh, all right. So other than basketball knowledge, right? Take out the basketball knowledge. The one, the most important key trait of an assistant coach. Gosh, that's tough. I mean, obviously you can combine it into, you know. Well, yeah, it, you know, I, I'm a great believer in being a lifelong learner. You know, what are you doing every day to get better? Get better as a person, get better as a coach, get better. Is it reading? Is it a podcast? Is it a clinic? Uh, is it video? Is it talking to another coach? Is it what are you, do? it's lifelong learning. And so every day I know you as one of my assistants, you are growing and you are getting better. And so that, that just, that is so important to me. And then wise use of time. I'm a big fanatic about how are you using your time? How are you using your time? All right, so this is an interesting one. And this year's uh, women's NCAA tournament was phenomenal basketball, but we're curious from you the best game you ever watched or took part in? Now, you know, I've been coaching now for 50 years. So that, that's, that's a real, real uh, toughie. Uh, I, I uh, actually coached against the great Margaret Wade that, that won three AIW national championships at Delta State and had a victory over her that was – this really sticks in my mind. I had a victory over Tara Vanderbeer. Uh, in her gym to go to the final four that sticks in my mind but probably the number one would be the season we won the WNBA championship and we were an underdog we did not have home court advantage we'd already upset um, Atlanta and now we were playing Connecticut to get to the finals and we um, we lost the first game and so now we're in the second game and with uh, nine seconds left we are we are down one um and they're shooting a free throw and so I had an opportunity to call a timeout and move the ball make or miss um and I opted not to call the timeout and I I just said make or miss we're going I gave them the signal she missed the free throw we got the rebound threw it the length of the court and Brianne January drove in for a layup and nearly broke the backboard and it bounced off into Javante uh, Zealous's hands and she put it back in and we won the game. And then, and then we, that was a catalyst. Now we go to Connecticut and we just beat them like a drum, the third game. And now we head off to, we never even came home. Now we head off to Minnesota and we're playing Simona Augustus and Maya Moore and uh, Lord of mercy. Um, and we're the underdog. And we just continue to play at a high level and win. And it all goes back to that one moment. And I look back sometimes, I could do a clinic on this. Why didn't you call the timeout? Because you had one and you could move it and you could set up the play. And it just, it came to me, this is, don't do it because Mike Tebow was the coach then. He's going to set up a defense. We may not even get the ball in bounds. So it just, it was automatic. And, and of course we, We've done it in, in our special situations. Nine seconds left after a free throw. Here we go. Uh, not exactly, but si similar. 
so that that game always sticks in mind because of the decision making that I had to make, and then how it how it just you know projected us right on through to a championship. So that yeah that that that's got to be the that's got to be the moment. All right, next one in your your all your coaching travels, you know you've gone you've gone everywhere. Uh, what were some of the favorite places to play or just go to? You know for for road games at any any level you coached at. Well, I, I always loved the um, Minnesota Lynx uh, Timberwolves facility, and it's not that fancy, but the fans. I always, I thought the fans were fanatic, uh, fantastic in, in Minnesota. I thought the fans in the, the Seattle Storm fans in Key Arena, fantastic. They love their team. I love to play in those two um, uh, arenas. When I was in college, I loved playing at Ohio State. When Nancy Darsh was the coach, it was always packed with people. Um, love, love their, love their Buckeyes. Uh, so that was a great, great place to play. Um, uh, and and then I, I um, uh, loved playing at home in Mackey Arena. You know, Mackey Arena is a is a tremendous home court advantage. Uh, and so um, those were the arenas that I really enjoyed playing in. Uh, but most of anything, when you think about the, the place, you think about the fans and the environment. And when you've got fans that are just really, really into the game, you remember those, uh, you, you remember those arenas. So last one, we, I always find this interesting. This was a great uh, question that Todd added, but any superstitions or routines for you before a game? Um, well, when I, when I played high school basketball way back in the day, you know, the court was divided into half. We couldn't even go full court. It was three on one end, three on there. I had to have chicken noodle soup. That was my pregame meal. And, and, and all through the pros at home, that was my pregame meal. I had to have Campbell's chicken noodle soup as my pregame meal. And I don't know why. Uh, but that it was a tradition. It went goes all the way back to high school in the early, in the '60s, and so that I would say that's kind of a superstition. Yeah. Every coach in America just decided to buy chicken noodle soup. And Campbell now, there's a lot of you know get the real stuff. Uh huh. <laughs> coach Dunn, we we can't we can't thank you enough uh, for for joining us today. It's an honor and a privilege for us. I know I'm taking notes over here. I'm gonna have Me to go too. back and. And, you know, uh, gave us a, a clinic inside the podcast. So we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time this morning. Um, and, you know, we look forward to, to seeing, you know, what's, what you have coming next, whether it be a clinic or, you know, a, a talk. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. You're welcome. It was great fun. We should do this again sometime. Oh, we'd, we'd love to. We'd love to. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout, or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.